So I'm over here looking at this picture that was taken about three weeks ago of Ewall's uh, clown in chief. And he's standing over a fast food feast, <laughs> looking over a bunch of hamburgers. And for the for the sake of this episode, we're going to call uh, President Trump President Hamburglar. But in all seriousness, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. And that's the thing about pictures and political leans and political perspectives, because depending on your political lean, you may see this picture as Trump being a con man or Trump being a champion. And in such hyper partisan times as these, it's important to look past optics and look beyond the picture. And in this picture, I see three working class struggles. One of those struggles is the struggle of the NCAA athlete, uh, the athlete uh, that's predominantly black or who is predominantly black. I also see the working class struggle of those who work in fast food services. You know, those folks who are even as we speak are fighting for higher wages, specifically $15 an hour. And I also see the struggle of the government shutdown, which at the time of this podcast has been temporarily uh, suspended, though I, I have my doubts that that will continue. Today on Making a Difference, we're going to snack on these ideas and what these struggles mean for working class folks, not lower class folks, not middle class folks, working class folks. And on the B side, we're going to talk about the Super Bowl, not just NFL players, but understanding the relationship between the celebrity class, working class and leisure class. <laughs> You're going to learn today. Um, to, be a Negro, to be a Negro in this country and to be um, relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage almost, almost all of the time. You wonder why I spit the truth and not to make no dope. To make a difference. eat good today y'all y'all listening to another episode of making a difference i'm your host ken making so glad you guys are checking in with me got a lot to talk about man uh, <laughs> look man president hamburger and a working class struggle that's going to be the focus uh, of this podcast today uh speaking of eating good i want to uh thank and introduce you guys to uh, one of our new sponsors here on making a difference the grill rain that's r-e-i-g-n look y'all best hamburgers on earth and y'all know how i do when when i advertise for folks and i promote folks man i'm not bringing on folks who you know, or not bringing in a, a good product. And when I say the grill rain is better than like your favorite fast food chain, I'm not even playing with y'all. Uh, it's located at 2376 Augusta Road in Gloverville, South Carolina. You can try their extra large hamburgers for only $5. Weekly specials are $10.99 Monday through Saturday. Comes with an entree and an extra side. The grill rain where we make your stomach smile. Call 803-341-0158. Also want to encourage you guys to follow the grill rain on Facebook. Also got to shout out the Allstate Insurance Agent Evans, Georgia, none other than Jay Harvey. Shout out Jay Harvey, man. Good people. Uh, he opened his agency in 2017 because he loves helping and working with people. He's a husband and a father, and he understands the importance of helping families prepare for the unexpected. You can get a quick personalized insurance quote today from Jay Harvey. Call him at 706-434-8106. 706-434-8106. His office is located at 3118-8 William View Parkway in Evans. If you need insurance for your car, home, life, or business, you're in good hands with Jay Harvey, your neighborhood Allstate insurance agent. So I made a point at the beginning of the podcast that I want to quickly clarify because I made the point of saying 
uh, that the uh, NCAA athlete was predominantly black. And I do want to specify that when you talk about uh, football, and you talk about basketball, which are overwhelmingly uh, the uh, highest revenue generating sports uh, in NCAA athletics, the players and the labor class uh, who participates, you know, in those uh, sports are, over, are predominantly or overwhelmingly, I would say black. And with that in mind, I go back to the picture itself. I go back to this picture of um, President Hamburglar <laughs> um, and, you know, the fact that you had a national championship team that uh, came to the White or that was in invited to the White House by Trump. And I mean, it was it was in short as an embarrassment. Trump could have definitely waited to host the uh, to host uh, the Tigers. I mean, there was no no rush, no urgency to to host them, especially, you know, with the government shutdown going on. But, you know, uh, or I should say President Hamburglar, you know, used uh, use uh, Clemson's football team as a as a political pawn and uh, Clemson's establishment. And, you know, the coaches, uh, folks like that were too happy to comply. Now, I salute, you know, the majority of the Clemson's uh, black players who skipped the White House visit. The route uh, actually reported that only 15 black players out of 57 on the official team roster decided to attend. And my understanding or, you know, what the report indicates is, is that a number of those players were, you know, guys who, you know, felt like they had to attend, you know, because, well, and I'll, I'll say it like, say it like this, is that there was, of course, you know, political pressure. Uh, and when I say politics, I'm not so much talking about partisan politics. I'm talking about team politics, which is to say, you know, if you're a freshman, sophomore, if you're fighting for playing time and, you know, you don't attend this trip, you know, there may be some backlash from, you know, the program program establishment from coaches, different things like that. And that, of course, plays into the working class struggle. And, you know, people will look at these kids and say, well, they're on, you know, they're on TV, you know, they're uh, they got uh, free room and board, they're on scholarship. And people think that, you know, that these kids just have it made and, you know, nothing, nothing can be further from the truth. These young men on this Clemson football team are unpaid workers and they're unpaid workers in the face of a coach in Dabo Sweeney, who over the last two years has made $14 million. As far as paying players, professionalizing college athletics, that's where you lose me. Uh, I'll go do something else because, uh, you know, there's enough entitlement in this world as it is. Again, Dabble made $14 million last year, and he thinks that unpaid labor is somehow or would somehow be entitled if they were to be paid for services rendered. And yes, it does sound worse because you have a system of initial servitude where you have a white coach who's saying that mostly black players shouldn't be paid for their labor. Don't talk to me about scholarships. Don't talk to me about room and board. It's not the same. It is not as valuable as cash in hand. It's also not as valuable as the ability to make money off of your likeness, which coaches can do. There are so many different streams of revenue for coaches that it's not even funny. Coaches are paid by the school. They are paid, you know, in, in TV deals. They have, you know, opportunities to advertise their likeness, different things like that. You have off-season coaching camps. There's just so many different things that coaches can do. And it's really uh, an, an insult when these coaches talk about entitlements and different things like that. Again, when you're talking about unpaid labor, if there's anyone with a sense of entitlement, it's your fan base. I mean, the folks who, you know, will pay hundreds of dollars to, to see these athletes play uh, your leisure class. It's folks like Dabo Swinney, um, who, again, you're making millions of dollars off the backs of these kids. It's ridiculous. But then you have to look at 
like this country, and you have to look at the history of this country, you know, where you have, you know, so much that was built off of free labor. You know, when you say things like, you know, we gave these kids a place to stay. And then even like when I look at just how and where they pull these kids from, you know, you you're pulling these kids out of low income communities, you know, a lot of programs that have been relevant for 20 and 30 years and beyond. And you go to these communities and the communities look virtually the same as they did. You think about a program like Miami that, you know, was in I mean, that was really prominent in terms of uh, in terms of, you know, college football. And, you know, in the late 90s, the turn of the century. And, you know, you got all these reports and all this history of, you know, we went down to these areas where, you know, and the kids, you know, they were they were running, running bare feet and barefoot in the fields and all this type of stuff. And those communities have not changed. So you got these programs that are making millions of dollars and NCAA that's making billions of dollars. And they're not reinvesting in the communities where they get a good number of these players from. And then we go back to the actual um, I can't even call it a dinner because it's it was a, I mean, it was a White House cookout. We don't call it a cookout. And you look at these kids and, you know, to me, if, if I'm going to the cookout, I'm not wearing, you know, shirt and tie to the cook. I'm not dressing like I'm going to church to or dressing like I'm going to an interview for a cookout. If it's a cookout, man, look here, bro. You finna get this T-shirt. <laughs> you gonna get these. You might get some slacks, but you probably gonna get some jeans, man. But I mean, that's just. You know, I, I look at just college football and I look at so much of athletics, man. There's so much uh, respectability of politics that's involved. And, you know, it's it's really beneath the players. And I commend the, the young brothers who said, you know what, we're not going to be a part of this charade. When we come back, I want to talk about the second element as we talk about, you know, working class struggles. And I want to talk about the government shutdown itself. And like I said, you know, we're in a period now where that government shutdown has been temporarily canceled. But I want to review it. And just look at just some of the crazy stories that came out of that shutdown and and look at some of just the very uh, relevant concerns and, and issues that we're still facing, you know, in the aftermath of of that shutdown. This is making a difference. We Do you know what beef is? Do you know what beef is? Ask yourself. Do you know what beef is? What's beef? The grill rain. That's beef and so much more. Home of the best burgers in town, located at 2376 Augusta Road in Gloverville, South Carolina. You can try the extra large hamburgers for only $5. Weekly specials are $10.99, Monday through Saturday. Comes with an entree and an extra side. The Grill Rain, where they make your stomach smile. Call 803-341-0158. 803-341-0158. And follow the Grill Rain on Facebook at the Grill Rain. What's beef? The Grill Rain, Gloverville, South Carolina. Yeah. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host Ken Macon. Uh, we're talking about President Hamburglar and the working class struggle. And so, a part of the working class struggle is, you know, when we take a look back at the government shutdown. And to be perfectly clear, and to not beat around the bush on this topic. The government shutdown happened very specifically because President Trump or President Hamburglar, for the uh, purpose of this podcast, made a campaign promise that Mexico was going to pay for the wall. Uh, there, were, there were no specifications. There was no, you know, cute uh, commentary behind or anything like that. Trump's words were very simply, Mexico is going to pay for the wall. Mexico did not, has not, and has said they will not pay for the wall. And so Trump had a fit. 
Uh, Trump had a, you know, a, a child, a child's fit, an infant fit. And now what's happening is, is that he's forcing Americans to pay for the wall. And so that's how you got your government shut down. The government shutdown happened because of a manufactured border security um, concern and the fact that the wall that Americans will not agree to the wall. Americans on the whole will not agree to the wall. So now what you have as a result is, is that you have a government shutdown or excuse me. Let me just again, I'm just going to cut to the chase on this thing, man. You're playing politics with people's lives. And this is why I have so much angst with the two party system, because Democrats and Republicans, or I should say Tea Party Republicans, because that's who's in the White House now, saw this shutdown coming. You had the meeting uh, in the Oval Office with Trump, with Nancy Pelosi, uh, with Schumer. So you had Democrat and Republican representatives in the Oval Office that talked about the shutdown. I'm going to give you guys a, a very small sip it, sip it. <laughs> a very small snippet of some of that commentary. I think the American people recognize that we must keep government open, that a shutdown is not worth anything, and that you should not have a Trump shutdown. Uh, you have the, oh, the oh, White House, Trump, Trump shutdown. Oh. You have the White House, you have the Senate, you have the House of Representatives. Pelosi's message to Trump on the wall, you don't have the votes. But there are no votes in the House, a majority of votes, for a wall. No matter where you exactly start. right. You don't have if I the needed house. the votes for the wall in the House, I would have them mm -hmm. in one session well, would we'll be do done. It. We'll do it. it doesn't help because we need 10 Democrats in no, the Senate. The fact is you do not have the votes in the House. Nancy, I do. The argument playing out before the cameras. This is the most unfortunate thing. We came in here in good faith uh, and, and, and we're entering into a of this kind of a discussion in the public view. But it's not bad, let, Nancy. Let us, no, uh, no, it's but called it, transparency. Uh, uh, Finally, Schumer forcing the issue. 20 but, times Chuck. you have called for, I will shut down the government if I don't get my wool. None of us have you said You want to know something? You've said okay, it. Okay, you want to put that you on my You said it. I'll take it. Okay, okay, good. You know what I'll say? Yes. If we don't get what we want, one way or the other, whether it's through you, through a military, through anything you want to call, I will shut down the government. Okay, Absolutely. fair enough. And we I am disagree. proud, and I'll we tell disagree. you what, I am proud to shut down the government for border security, Chuck. Here's my question to Pelosi and the Democrats. What in the world have Trump and the Republicans done to earn your good faith? For you all to walk into the Oval Office in good faith? Absolutely nothing. You walked into that office knowing Trump would do anything and everything to get that wall including shutting down the government. So engaging in political theater with a man who has cornered the market on theatrics. So here's what happened. Okay. Trump. And this is what Trump has done the entire time he's been campaigning. He's been in office. He's turned theatrics. He's turned controversy into policy. So now Trump and, and, and Democrats helped him with that. Trump Democrats gave Trump all the fuel he needed to shut down the government. So, okay. So now the government's been shut down. Surely the Democrats will dig in and play hardball with Trump and the tea party Republicans. Surely they will not give in to Trump's terrorist demands. Wrong. First thing the Dems did after the shutdown, you know, went on for about a week or so is they said, you know what, if you want, 
uh, money for border security. We'll give you, I believe it was one, two billion dollars for border security. We're not going to give you a physical wall, but we'll give you some money for border security, which now, OK, mm, Trump and them's got to be, you know, smelling blood in the water because it's like, OK, well, we're starting to see the Democrats cave on this thing. Then <laughs> Democrats really doubled down. Democrats said, OK, we want to build a smart wall, quote unquote, smart wall. And this idea of a smart wall is, again, we're not going to build a physical wall, but we're going to give you the five point three billion dollars that you're saying you need for the physical wall. And we're going to concede that money to you, you know, for technology, different things like that, you know, to help with border security. Now, I've said and I'll repeat. If they're going if there are issues that need to be rectified with border security, it's those issues that already and when I say they already exist, I mean you're illegal like illegal immigrants are coming in through legal ports or or mostly coming in through legal means. There's no warp zone that illegal immigrants are coming in through. I mean the the wall is about symbolism. It's about campaign campaign promises. There's no there's very little feasibility for building a wall, particularly in the 21st century. If you build a wall anywhere, I can go under it. I can go over it. I can go through it. This country doesn't have $5.3 billion to spend on symbolism. And beyond that, this is why I'm so infuriated with the two-party system. Because nobody will dig in and say, you know what, man? This BS is wrong, man. It's wrong, and we're not spending a dime on it. This is what we're going to do. We're going to take our money. We're going to take our resources. Our, we're going to take our government resources and we're going to fix the problems that we that we have within the framework of border security. And what we're also saying is, is that the, the concerns about border security that are brought the irresponsible concerns that are being brought forth by Trump. Statistics show that he's factually that he's literally wrong, that, that those concerns are factually inaccurate. So why are we entertaining this and why? Every time, every time I see I, sh I see Nancy Pelosi on, on TV or I see a Democrat on TV, this is the this is what they should be they should be this is what they should be talking about. They should be talking about actual facts dealing with the border and border security and why we don't need a wall. And because they didn't, here's here are the situations that we have. We are that we I'm saying have because I get it, man. Look, the government shutdown has been temporarily suspended, but Trump is Trump has said and has been saying, look. If I don't get my demands within three weeks, I'm shutting the government down again. And you got to look at what's what's going on during this this three week period where the government's not shut down. OK, you just had you just had your Super Bowl. OK, so obviously it was important that you had TSA, you know, um, not not in the best mood, but in a serviceable mood because you got millions and millions of people coming through Atlanta. So you had to have TSA for that. Of course, hey, you got to have you got to. <clears throat> excuse me you know you gotta you gotta have your the irs and you know you got tax money going in going out you know you got tax returns co uh coming in you gotta make sure you know you got you gotta have people you know working on working on that type of stuff but my gut feeling is this as soon as the air clears on on, on a lot of this stuff you're gonna go back to the government the shutdown's gonna be back on and it's gonna be back on because democrats are bending and they're using some semantics and you know terms like smart wall to overshadow the fact that they're bending on this border security issue. And here's what's and here's who's being hurt. You got our IRS workers who 
Some of them had to come back while the shutdown was still going on. And can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in place for, you know, as you're seeing these tax returns coming in, you're seeing these all this money coming in and you're unpaid. You look at some of the situations with TSA and I and my understanding is that there was a, a, T, a TSA worker who committed suicide. Yep, I have it here. 40 year old man, uh, TSA worker uh, in the Orlando airport jumped to his death. I mean, and and this is what we're not. And this is what I think people do understand. They have some understanding, but you got to you got to look at it like this. OK, so you got people who've been working for weeks without pay. I mean, people like there we, we look at the idea of people not having money as, you know, well, well, like just, well, man, they just they they're broke or, you know, they can, you know, maybe uh, call somebody and, you know, maybe to defer a bill or. But we don't look at the psychological effects of poverty. We don't look at the psychological effects of not having money. And the best way I can explain it to you is like this, because I, I got to have a, a discussion with people so they can understand the working class struggle, because you may be listening to this podcast and you may not understand that you're in a working class struggle. But it's like this. If you got direct deposit at your job and you suppose and that check hit every Friday. If that if Friday comes and goes and that check is not in your account, man, you finna nut up, man. You're gonna get somebody on the phone. You're gonna go to your you're gonna go to your human resources department. You're gonna be you got questions. You're gonna call your bank. But imagine like, and that's just from one day of not uh getting your getting your paycheck. And I understand it. And you got a right to be hostile. For one reason, because pay me what you owe. But the second part about it is, is that, man, so many of us live paycheck to paycheck. So, man, you may have already called a, a creditor and said, you know what? Take that money out of my account Friday because I get paid on Friday. Oh, but you didn't get paid on Friday. So now you got checks bouncing. See, I like I, making a difference. Going to bring it to you. Going to bring it to you. <laughs> Bro, I can relate. I'm going to bring it to you like that there, man. And that's what these people are having to deal with. And not only that, and I'm just not talking about a bill. I'm talking about rent. I'm talking about, you know, your things relating to your kids, stuff like all these different things that are going on. And so it creates and rightfully creates a distrust within government. And then, you know, there's all this talk about back pay and different things like that. Do you understand that some people who were affected by the government shutdown, contractors, people who like do maintenance, like cleaning and stuff like that, who will not be paid from the shutdown? Will not be paid because of political games between the Democrats and the Republicans. Well, I, let me let me say between the Tea Republicans and the Democrats, because sure, the burden of responsibility is is on the the Trump administration and and this culture that they've pushed of you know we need border security, but Democrats have fallen right in line. You know, you they can they can push back on on cameras and things like that, but I'm I'm listening to the rhetoric, I'm seeing what they're talking about, and I'm I'm disappointed in South Carolina's own representative. Uh, Jim Clyburn for being a part of it, for being a part of these shenanigans. The same Jim Clyburn who has his name on the transportation center down at South Carolina State University, the same South Carolina State University that's struggling with enrollment and funding and different things like that. So you can sit up here in Washington and you can, you know, you can you can play political games, man, take some of that innovative energy and, 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 and this this spirit. And bring it on down here to the transportation center and put some of these black kids in school, man, and get them good jobs. I just, I, this this thing aggravates me to no end, man. The, I mean, and, and the shutdown hit in so many different ways. It, it didn't just hit people. You know, you had the 
uh, Martin Luther King Day weekend. If it wasn't for, I believe it was either Coca-Cola or Delta, I forget. But man, the government shutdown had affected your MLK Day. It had affected a lot of these museums. And so you had you got to you had to have third party sponsors to come in and put their money behind this stuff so that you can even have these events that are going on. Uh, the uh, the new uh, Civil Rights Museum that's in Atlanta, they have free admission uh, through February because one of the sponsors just paid up. But again, these are things that are uh, uh, federal or sponsored by federal funding, which means by extension, taxpayer funding supports these things. And people sit back and I understand it, man. People feel so helpless. But you're not helpless. You're not. I look, man, it's, it's so many different ways I can approach this thing. I'm looking at France and I'm looking at the, the revolution that's taking place there. And look, I'm, that's not going to happen in America because, look, I remember for years growing up, we talked about, you know, the French. They're so weak. They don't want they don't want war. They don't want to instigate any problems. They don't, you know, uh, to quote this generation, they don't want no smoke. But I'm seeing what's going on over there with the Yellow Vest movement. And like I said, I'm not going so far as to suggest violent revolution, but there clearly needs to be some type of uh, conflict or pushback. I'll say it that way. There needs to be some kind of pushback against what the government is doing, local, state, federal, to let people to let these people know, hey, man, we're not going for this. And I'm not I'm not just talking about during midterms. I'm not just talking about in even number of years. Because this is 2019. What are we supposed to do? Wait till, you know what I'm saying? We're supposed to wait till next November to shake this thing up? Nah, bruh. If it's a political movement, if we all just go down to our, you know, local board of elections and say, you know what? I'm not Democrat. I'm not Republican. I'm an independent. Because I can't put my name on any of this foolishness that's going on right now in Congress, in the White House. And I'm just, I'm just done with the serving volley between Democrats and Republicans. You may be able to do something like that. It may be an economic boycott. It may be, you know what? I'm not supporting. Com- I'm not supporting companies who, you know, provide these kickbacks or, you know, who basically, you know, fund the foolery that happens in in Congress. And finally, it may just come down to us as individuals. It may come down to just basic political awareness that extends to, you know, going to a, a local meeting, a state meeting, you know, going to these meetings, and if you just gotta just be boisterous. And just be obnoxious and just say, hey, you know what? We've had enough. We, the taxpayers, we, who, you know, people who are suffering, we've had enough. You're listening to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Again, we're, t- uh, we're talking about President Hamburglar, President Trump, and the working class struggle. And I got to, you know, shift this conversation uh, to talk about fast food. Because I think about Yasmin James and the situation that happened at McDonald's. And we've talked about that on this podcast. Young lady, and, and since then... There have been more uh, of these, I mean, these inexplicable um, things that have happened at, at, at fast food restaurants. Yasmin James, if you haven't heard, she was in, a, in, in Fort Lauderdale, I think it was, or in some part of Florida, where this man got mad by her, mad with her over a straw. And so he reached over to kind of actually grabbed her and she defended herself pretty well. Uh, matter of fact, ran them hands. And was beating on this guy until her co-workers inexplicably pulled her off of this man. Like I said, if it had been me in that, in that McDonald's that day, that man would have got all the smoke. <laughs> it would have been a, look, <laughs> he, he would have got a number one. He would have got everything on the menu that day. We'll put it like that. But um, I hate to say something good came out of this stuff, man. Because to me, man, it's like, 
it what comes out of this stuff is just common is really just common sense stuff. There need to be protections for for these fast food workers. They need to raise the wage to, uh, for these folks to fifteen dollars an hour. Well, all they doing is flipping burger. Look, man, if some of y'all listen to this podcast, came grill. You understand? Know like, bro, I'm I, I'm finna get I'm finna break this thing all the way down, man, because I'm tired of people who sit in office all day. And I'm not saying I mean if hey. There are obviously office skills that are applicable to making money, and I'm not trivializing those. But what I'm saying is this, man, respect the work that people do. And certainly if you don't respect the work that they do, it's some people out here that's working in impossible working conditions. When I talk about fast food and I talk about the conditions that people are working in, understand you got people getting coffee thrown on them. They're having a South Carolina. Somebody threw coffee on a fast food worker. Uh, there was a restaurant recently where a lady was mad. That she didn't get soda with her combo and threw a chair through a window, y'all. These are the type of things that people are having to deal with. And I'm going to tell you the, the irony of it all is that it's really, it's, 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 a, it's a class warfare. It's, uh, this is the best way I can explain it. The irony of it is so unbelievable when you think about working class people and you know, you get into situations where, again, you're a lot of people who are working class are in working poverty. And so you have to eat, you know, food that may, that may not that may not necessarily be good for you or may not be good for you. And so you make the transition from, you know, the worker to not leisure class. But, you know, you go going somewhere you want to get something to eat, man. You're like, oh, man, look, I'm just I just need me. I just need something to eat. This may calm me down. And so you get to a restaurant and they may forget something. And then you just, bam, that's it. And people don't understand where this rage is coming from. What's happening is, is that the failure of government, the failure of corporations, the failure, so many different failures that were, that are manifest on everyday people. And now we're taking it out on each other. It's the same thing that happens like it's in people. This is the people. This is the term that people use and people say things and they don't really understand the ramifications of what they're saying. Let's say black on black crime. And so you say black on black crime, but you're not addressing the poverty, the um, close proximity that people are living in that create these conflicts. But guess what? The same dynamics that create a scenario where you have intra-racial conflict. That is to say black on black crime and white on white crime. You having those same dynamics that are taking place in restaurants. And so that's why, you know, every so often, and I'll say now with more frequency, you're hearing about, you know, somebody getting mad in a restaurant. And honestly, it probably happens multiple times a day. You just have people that don't take it to the net, to a, a violent level, um, a, a physically violent level. But certainly you have people who will, will get mad. Hey, you forgot my bleeping hamburger. You know what I'm saying? Things like that. It's just, this, this is the world that we're living in now, man. And this is like, we really got to take a step back and look at this thing, man. And, and look, and people are going to say, well, man, we, if we raise the minimum wage for, you know, uh, for fast food people, then we got to raise, you know, uh, the wages for other people. Uh, challenge accepted. Well, if we raise the wage for everybody, then inflation is going to go up. Challenge, look, man, inflation, been going, look, st the price of goods has been going up for years, independent of the working class getting a raise. You're not you're not going to discourage me and deter me from saying that put, uh, from putting more from putting more money in people's paychecks. You, you've come to the wrong place. 
And for a significant number of people making the argument, I mean, you're you're rooting against your own self-interest. And I want to tell you this, too, because it's Black History Month. And, and if you notice, I ain't said a blessed thing about Black History Month until 30 minutes into the podcast. Because if you listen to Making a Difference, you know I'm shouting out Black History every month, every look day, every second, man. Black, like, I am Black History. Black History is in my heart, man. I mean... Y'all heard y'all heard the first part. Was that the first podcast of the year, man? We talk about surviving 400 years. If you have not listened to that podcast, Lord, gee, matter of fact, man, look, making a difference. We had a point now, man. I, I I don't even really toot my own horn, man, about the podcast, man. I, I usually let the podcast speak for itself. But God, dog, man, if you got a little time, man, if you working out, if you on a road trip, if you riding, if you whatever you doing, man, you might as well hit play on a making a difference podcast and just work your way back, man. Cause I've been dropping heat for a little bit now, man. And shout out everybody who listening, man. And no, I've been dropping heat for a little bit, man. But this, y'all got. To, but see, y'all been listening to the heat for a while. I need my 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 listeners, my listeners, listeners. I need y'all to take it to another level, man. Tell your friends about what we're doing out here, man. Because it's like this, man. We we fighting new dangers now. I'm I'm not just fighting, you know, uh, the establishment. Well, I I should say I'm not just fighting the establishment through overt and covert racism. I'm fighting the establishment now through algorithms, through, and I don't know if y'all heard about this, man. Shout out uh, Yvette Carnell and Antonio Moore, man. Their their, their hashtag has been uh, hashtag ADOS, which is talking about American uh, or African-American descendants of slaves. And now there's a pushback from MSNBC, from black women on MSNBC who are pushing back against a movement that says, you know what? African-American descendants of slaves, um, We've been disrespected for generations. We've been uh, economically left out for generations. Let's have a discussion about reparations. And so now you have black women working who are working with and for the establishment who are saying, you know what? Um, If you have this hashtag, then you're a troll or you're a bot. Do you understand how dangerous that is? You create a president for Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, and these and these social media outlets to not only. Uh, disregard you but to suspend your account because now you're a troll now you're a bot now you're spam and so you think about it man 50 years later um after dr king and 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 look moving forward keep dr king out your mouth if you're not for the working class struggle because dr king died in memphis fighting for a working class struggle the memphis we talk about the montgomery bus boycott all the time but we need to start talking more about the memphis sanitation strike y'all and that's real rap don't talk about Dr. King, man. If you're not, if you're not talking about Dr. King after 1963, man, lose my number. Because, man, Dr. King, them last, look, that last year, oh, my God. But them last, like, three, like, after Malcolm died, man, if you're not talking about that King, lose my number, man. Back to my point, though. If, I mean, and 50 years later after Dr. King fought in Memphis, fought for the sanitation workers, and I'm looking at, you know, being called bots and and spam and different things like that. We're still fighting for our humanity. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Look, man, we're about to flip this thing to the B side. Uh, before we do, man, I just see I, I'm musically inclined too, man. So, you know, as I'm doing this podcast, I'm doing this podcast like I meant, like, I look, this is this is my studio, but I'm doing it, you know, almost in the, you know, in the mode of like a like a Petey Green, God rest his soul. And people like that, man, it's like it's not just about the commentary, man. It's also about the music. The music got to put you in a certain mode. And so we've been talking about fast food, man. So I got to look, I got I to throw some food selections up in this jump, man. You know, some some things that you can really feel. And shout out my man. Uh, I'm going to call him Tony Tony Chopper for the sake of the podcast, man. Love, lo- love you, brother, man. Um, 
happy belated anniversary to you. I, I told you happy anniversary on, on your day, man. But just saying that again, um, he said one day he was listening to the podcast, man, and said he started listening to, I think, I think I had Jay-Z, one more can I say on that junk? He said he forgot he was listening to a podcast, man. <laughs> but, man, uh, shout out my people, man. I look love y'all, man. But we're going to flip this thing to the B-side, man. We'll give you, look, some classic hip-hop joints, man, uh, talking about food. And on the B-side, we're going to talk about uh, some of these Super Bowl performers and, and some of the pump faking that happened. And uh, y'all going to enjoy it. This is making a difference for sure. Tomato pasta, what roti is to a rasta, trapping me. You and your friend mac and cheese, candy yams, collard greens, but you knocking me to my knees is killing me when I'm this high. Nothing I need more than the fish fry. Shit, it tastes good, I can't lie. It's like you're walking out the tennis alone. When I pull you out the oven from bacon, I got you on my mind. Rubbing that suntan lotion all up over your body. So amazing how you sparkle when I glaze you, swine. Hey, my pretty ham hock. It's so feminine the way you submitted and how you gave me power to massage me to shower you with lemon water. Marinate you in seasoning, dipping you in chowder. Baby, it's like you at the spa the way you gently lay in the pan while enjoying your buttermilk treatment. I sit and watch the grease sizzle bubble in on your skin. Despite the funny fragrance, still I lick my finger frequent. In any event, I'm reflecting on all the signs that I got saying that I shouldn't fuck with you. But the way that you would taste made you hard to resist when I put my mouth on you, but that's another issue. Butterflies up in my stomach when I laid eyes on you, or was it infection manifesting? Confused over the feeling, impatiently eating you, chikina worm chewing on the wall of my intestine. I'ma eat you till there's nothing left, until my very last breath, you gon' be a nigga death. Despite I prepare it the best and specialize in cooking swine as a chef, you gon' be a nigga death. Who cares if the swines mixed with rat, cat, and dog combined? Yes, I'ma eat the shit to death. Ain't that some shit? I'ma eat some shit until what I'm eating kills me. And I choose to do that. Why? Because that's just what niggas do. <laughs> My name is Lauren Macon, and you are listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. Yeah, this is a ghetto prayer. Praying for all of those who ain't got it. We gotta get it there. We gotta get it, yeah. Yeah, the people starving for something new. They starving for it. Did you have fun at school today, Trini? 
My little man go to bed so hungry. Get up, go to school with his nose runny. Come home with his nose bloody. His sister laughing, he like, what's so funny? Till she drowned out, but the sounds of hunger pains in his tummy. Nothing in the freezer, nothing in the fridge. Couple of 40 ounces, but nothing for the kids. Little man know to eat to live, but he don't wanna leave the crib. The kid who punched him in his face, house right down the street from his. He went anyway, more scared to face his moms. Should be him sooner, she flip out, seeing his face scarred. Walking past the dope fiends, what they smoke and take the place of God. Hopes and dreams pouring out the holes and they facing arms. Little man in the face of harm if he don't eat. He need energy, so when he go to school, he can't compete and keep up. All we got is bodegas, but hey, he only got enough for a quarter water and an hour later anyway. Grandma say Jesus will be here any day. Good, cause with nothing to eat, it's getting hard to pray. Pray. Gotta watch what the media feeds you and don't be a poison animal either neither. It's harder than it sounds nowadays to put that swine in everything. White sugar so addictive as pure cane. They got pork in the toothpaste, soda in the sunny D. Jello brand gelatin is laced with the lecithin. In Africa, they starving over here, the food hurts you. Cows going mad and the chickens caught the bird flu. It's too ill how the food kills like blue steel. Lies never set you free, but the truth will. The truth still matter. The proof is in the batter or the pudding. You can tell we eating good, we getting fatter. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Man, it's just, (laughs) the music, man, it just gives me so much energy, man. I'm sitting in here, I'm bopping, man. Just listen to some old school joints, man. Y'all probably looking for soul food. Yeah. You know, I try to, I try to be a little unconventional with the, with the music joints. Um, First joint was, you know, off of what I think is Nas' best album, uh, the the N-word album. Well, I mean, I've said niggermation before, so nigger. Uh, That Nas album, man. Uh, That record with Busta Rhymes, Fried Chicken, man. Love that joint, man. Also, Talib Kweli, man, y'all remember from uh, the Eardrum album from way back when, uh, Eat to Live. Love that album, too, man. So, you know, just thought I'd, I'd bless y'all with them records real quick. I know my man, Rakeem Kelly, uh, bopping his head, man. Shout out, Rock, man. Love you, brother. Happy belated to you, man. Rock's birthday was on the second, man. So, uh, you know, I always like to celebrate life, you know, celebrate just cats who are just so consistent in their support of the podcast, man. Rock say, Rock shot me a text, said, man, I need that new gospel, man. So, uh, look, challenge accepted, man. We on the B side of uh, President Hamburglar and the working class struggling. So I want to talk about the Super Bowl, man. I didn't, man, I watched about maybe hmm, about 10, 15 minutes, man. I'm, I'm trying to wean myself off of, uh, well, not not try to wean myself off football. Uh, the Super Bowl is going to be the last game I'm going to watch. 
uh, probably, well, at least for next year, I'm not going to watch the NFL next year, man. I, um, it's been a lot of different things, you know, and I'm sitting up here, I'm doing a podcast about the working class struggle, about the labor struggle. And I mean, it, it's, it's certainly prudent from that perspective to, um, take a step away from the game, to take a step away from football. But also just looking at it, I, I can tell you the very specific thing that just for me, it was enough. And it was, uh, Steve Wilkes. Steve Wilkes was a former defensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers, which I'm, which I wear my rooting interest lie. And so I was sad to see Steve Wilkes uh, leave the Panthers and take the job in Arizona as the head coach. Steve Wilkes got exactly 16 games um, as the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals before he was fired uh, and, you know, did not have uh, the adequate resources to, I mean, to even have a winning record. And and just for me, is I mean, and Wilkes, I mean, really just didn't, did not get, a fair shot at being a head coach in the NFL and not for the Arizona Cardinals anyway. But if you know about the Cardinals and you know, some of their political leanings and, you know, interests and different things like that, then this is not a surprise. But for me, the fact that Steve Wilkes and he's currently a defensive coordinator, I forget with, with whom, but same thing happened with Steve Wilkes happened with Vance Joseph in Denver. And so I'm seeing these guys who were head coaches take virtual demotions. Um, you know, within their capacity, you know, as, as coaches in the NFL and, you know, and didn't didn't get the time, didn't really get a fair shot to build their brand and to build their careers. I mean, as head coaches in the NFL for that and for many other reasons, a, a number of which we have talked about extensively on this podcast. Yeah. Next year, um, you know, I, I won't be watching the league. So you can look, print that, tweet that, quote that. Shout out. Uh, shout out Jimmy J.L. Scott. We had a good conversation about that last night. Uh, a conversation with which I'll go ahead and share with you now. You know, he was saying, because uh, I posted something about uh, some civil rights icons, specifically uh, Bernice King, uh, the late um, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s daughter, uh, John Lewis, the uh, incomparable John Lewis, and Andrew Young, uh, the former mayor of Atlanta, uh, came out for the coin toss uh, for uh, the Super Bowl. And I mean, I, I, it's with their history, it's reprehensible. And so, you know, Jimmy reached out to me and he said, well, what's the difference between um, them going out for the Super Bowl toss or the coin toss? And, you know, me watching as much football as I watched this year had a really healthy, uh, good discussion. And the long and the short of it is this. While the individual standard of what a person accepts, I'm just talking about from person to person, whether you watch the NFL or or don't watch the NFL, that that individual standard does not compare to the credence that the presence of those civil rights icons, it doesn't compare to the, the presence that those folks give when they walk out on the field and you know what they represent and you know what they've stood for in the past. And for them to come out there is a far cry from the issues that they march for. And to think that these icons and, you know, in uh, what, 50 years, are so far removed from labor class, working class struggles to the point where they will come out and want to be used as symbolic gestures. It's just something that's just so culturally irresponsible. And as someone who does this show or someone who speaks to these issues, to me, it I mean, it would be hypocritical to not say, hey, look, this should not be happening. They should not be out here. And I also understand that you know, when you talk about hypocrisy and taking that critical look that you have to do that within yourself, which is something that I've done and I'm doing. 
But what happens a lot of times is, and, and I was explaining this to Jimmy in, in the framework of our discussion, is that we conflate the struggles of laymen and we conflate the decisions that a layman makes versus the decisions that a celebrity makes. And we think they're the same. What a celebrity does has far more influence and far more range. And I wouldn't even so much say significance. I'll just say when you look at networking opportunities and different things like that, you know, if your coworker doesn't watch the NFL, that's one thing. But if when you have celebrities who, you know, the news is going to look at those folks and say, look, oh man, this person's taking a stand. I mean, there's a certain level of power that goes into that. And this is why I always emphasize within the framework of, of layman, with the, within the framework of what we can do as individuals. I always, what do I always encourage you guys to do? Band together, strength in numbers. I've experienced this firsthand when I went down to uh, my, my city council and addressed the issue of the Confederate monument or the post-Civil War monument. And I knew, and I invited people to come down because I knew that there would be strength in numbers. It says something if 10 people or 100 people come down and uh, discuss or address an issue or just stand behind a person who's speaking. There's more power than that than just one person going down, going going down there and speaking to these issues. And I, ironically enough, that is the issue that Colin Kaepernick faced. Imagine if Colin Kaepernick would have had the backing of 100 or 200 NFL players versus basically taking it at knee by well, him and Eric Reed taking that, taking those knees by their lonesome. Their strength in numbers. But then in the case of the celebrity, there's strength in that celebrity, because if you speak to that issue there, you do have a network and an outlet for these things to, to get out. And that's why I'm, I always challenge celebrity, because I understand the platform that they have and the power of the platform that they have. And with that, I want to and speaking of Colin Kaepernick, I, I want to talk about one of the discussions that came out before uh, the Super Bowl. And that was, of course, the uh, the alleged dialogue that happened between Travis Scott, who was one of the Super Bowl performers and Colin Kaepernick. Now. You know, uh, it had been reported that Travis Scott and Colin Kaepernick had gotten together and, you know, came to an agreement. And then uh, Colin Kaepernick had retweeted something uh, that said the opposite. They said that him and Travis Scott had not gotten together and had not had that dialogue. And so different folks said different things about it. And, well, you know, Travis Scott got to eat and blah, blah, blah. And first thing that we need to look at is the real conflict here is not necessarily Travis Scott versus Colin Kaepernick. The real conflict here is media reporting, because why report that Trav and, and Cap were cool when they or had come to an agreement in terms of him um, performing when they had not? To me, that is not intellectually. Not, it's, it's, it's more than intellectually dishonest. It's a flat out lie. They lied about it. And so, you know, people went on you know social media and, and you know, the different networks and they, you know, had these referendums on these guys. And I mean, you really didn't need it. We know what Trav stands for. I mean, he's, you know, basically one of the Kardashians. I mean, I'm not I'm not looking for moral high ground from a guy who, you know, associates with that particular family. And I don't necessarily need a referendum on Colin Kaepernick, who his um, revolution is not perfect. But that guy has sacrificed a significant amount, you know, to take the stand that he's taken. We know what these guys on the whole, we know what these guys stand for. And we know what these guys, you know, are investing their time and their energy in even now. But it takes me back to this idea of, you know, what it looks like to cancel people. And, you know, we have this selective outrage for people based on who we like and who we don't like. And so I think about as we talk about celebrities who have performed at the Super Bowl and these type of events, I go back to Trump's inauguration. And if you remember how we treated Chris and Michelle, ah, don't tell me I forgot about Chris and Michelle now. 
Now, here's the thing about Chris. And here's the thing that you have to. And here's the thing you have to understand when you when you take a stand. Here's the <laughs> I know, man, sometimes this, it just just happens like that. Here's what you got to understand when you take a stand. You I mean, you're, you're responsible for whatever constitution you have in your mind and whatever you exert and whatever you tell people, however you feel. But you can't you're not responsible for the backlash. And the backlash is the thing that you have to understand. And that backlash, you have to understand it within the framework of a lot of if you're a celebrity, you have to understand that within the framework of your fan base. Chrisette Michelle, her PR team, someone should have told her, look, you can go up here and you can perform and you can make however if you need to make that money, that's fine. But if you make this money, understand what it's going to mean for you touring, understand what it's going to mean as far as the very visceral backlash that happened in the black community or that happened among black people or, or that's going to happen among black people when you do this. Conversely, you got Gladys Knight and Big Boy, which to me, Gladys Knight and Big Boy should have gotten a comparable backlash to what this young lady, Chrisette Michelle, got because you know what the NFL stands for. And you know what it stands for in terms of blackballing Kaepernick and different things like that. But because we say, well, we're not we're not canceling Gladys. We're not canceling Big Boy. Man, Big Boy is one half of Outcast. We're not canceling Outcast. Here's my advice for this whole canceling idea. And I and I I, I frame or I put canceling in the same Godforsaken dictionary as these words like woke and different things like that. We use them so recklessly and, you know, ad nauseum that they they lose their power, they lose their impact, and ultimately they they really don't mean the things that we want them to stand for. You don't have to cancel people if and when you always hold them accountable for the things that they do. Gladys Knight, if you want to sing the national anthem, go out there and sing the national anthem. But don't sit up here and say you're going to try to reclaim the national anthem and you know try to restore its former glory. And don't don't go down that route. People are too intelligent. People know about the third verse of the national anthem. Don't just don't go there. Just say, hey man, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get these bands. If you don't like it, you can kiss my grits. Call it call it down the middle, man. Don't 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 be intellectually dishonest, man. That, that's the thing that bothers me is is that. Because to me, if you're going to be conniving and deceitful in that capacity, then, you know, when when you get the backlash, don't don't act surprised. No, take take it all on. Take it all. Take the backlash on. If you're going to take the paycheck, take the backlash that comes along with it and and go forth. There's so many different things are coming to mind as I'm having that conversation. I, I got to shout out my bro, Maine. Maine, love you, man. Maine was explaining something about sponsorships and, and different things like that on, on his podcast. And this is a conversation that, you know, just some things I try to impart upon him and we go back and forth on. But that's that's the essence of sponsorship. That's the essence of understanding. Hey, when you take this money, then understand that you're taking these ideologies, that you're taking the ideologies that go along with it. And you have to judge those things within yourself. And the truth is, is that and I'm not trying to conflate selling out. Because here's the reality of it is that if you think about your company and their practices and things that they do to different employees and like that, are, are you satisfied with all those things? I think the answer is an, for most of us listening to this podcast is an overwhelming no. But you got to feed your kids. So there are these things that there's there are these trade offs and different things like that. I and, and there's a certain conscientiousness that goes along with that. And to me, and I think this also goes into the part of the conversation that I was having with Jimmy. Is that with that conscientiousness, you should want better for yourself. You should want better for your kids. 
It's that last year I watched NFL, this year I'm not watching NFL. It's that last year I worked for this company, this year I may try to work for myself or maybe work for another company that does better by its employees. It's about the growth and it's about the development. And this is why I get, I'm so disappointed with people that people that say, you know, boycott is ineffective. You know, uh, marching is ineffective. It's not as efficient as it used to be, but there are still places for those things. There's still timing, you know, for these things. What I find is, is that some of it, I think, is a self-esteem issue. Some of it is an issue of apathy or people can just say, you know what? I'm not I'm not boycotting this no more and leave these celebrities alone. No, 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 no. You're not going to get that from me. There's nuance is important. Context is important. Understanding is important. And there's so many people that are lost in the shuffle because no one ever stands up, speaks out and says, OK, here's some things I'm right on. Here's some things I'm wrong on. Here's here's my ideologies. Here's what I'm improving on. We don't get that from people. All we get is, is, you know, basically the spoon fed garbage about who we should root for, and who we shouldn't root for. Anyway, back to Maine, man, we did a hell of a podcast on more on the morning masters podcast. I had a chance to collaborate with him. The name of that podcast is fittingly more than making a difference. Uh, sat down, had a great conversation, man. Talked about fatherhood. We talked about incidentally the working class struggle. Um, it's a good precursor to this episode. So, um, I'll just go ahead and tell you, Hey, if you, and see, this is why, uh, if you're listening to this, download the SoundCloud app, because here's what you can do from the SoundCloud app. You can follow the making a difference podcast and make a difference podcast. You can also follow more than the masters podcast and you can follow these podcasts and look, as soon as we upload stuff, it, Bam, right on your app. Um, once you followed it, you click the uh, lightning bolt and those podcasts are right there available for you, man. You can just listen to the stuff. I mean, you can just listen to it all the way through, man. And, you know, as your day is going on and just different things like that, man, you may, you may be cleaning up the house. It's the podcast, man. But that um, I'm so proud of that podcast. I'm especially proud of the promo work uh, that Maine did um, in terms of just putting videos up on Facebook, different things like that. Look, man, we making moves, man. Maine is especially Maine's work ethic is through the roof, man. I uh, love that young brother, man. He's got a lot of good energy, man. Great father. Uh, got a great podcast. And, you know, man, we had an incredible conversation. That's look, that's why I'm I'm a little more liberal with the word nigger uh, because um, N-I-G-G-E-R, because we had a conversation on there very briefly about uh, niggermation. And, you know, and that was, that's actually one of the elements of the working class struggle that I have not talked about, talked a lot about on this podcast. Um, is what happens in manufacturing and the auto industry and places like that, where you historically have had these impossible conditions. And now, you know, we're seeing what's happening in, in manufacturing and the auto industry now where unions are being phased out, your sick times being cut out. And so you're still working in these challenging conditions, but you don't have the protections that you used to have. And so, you know, all of these things are happening even as automation is starting to make its way. So we've gone in uh, the span of 40 years, we've gone from, hey, niggermation, which is the idea that one black person can do the work of three white people. And so your labor force in uh, manufacturing is predominantly black. And so in 40 years, you're phasing out all these different things and all these protections for your mostly black labor force. And then once you've, you know, tapped that labor force out, you're saying, oh, well, you know, heck with them. Uh, we're going to bring in robots anyway. It's, just, it's, it's insidious. It's evil. Uh, and corporate greed is happening all around us. I look at GM. GM got a bailout to the uh, from this nation to the tune of fifty billion dollars, and the this country and, and taxpayers, of course, lost eleven point two billion dollars on the GM bailout. And GM said, "Thanks, we're gonna lay off a bunch of people." Uh, those layouts are actually uh, happening today. 
as I'm doing this podcast. So uh, FGM. And I mean that sincerely. GM being General Motors. I Look, it's a lot of GMs out here. General managers. General Motors. F them. But with that, I do want to go back quickly to this idea of canceling people because uh, Freddie Gibbs, uh, Freddie Gibbs, who's a, a rapper, hip hop artist, uh, had a commentary. Um, let me let me try to find this exact commentary from uh, from Freddie uh, Gibbs. Freddie Gibbs says, y'all mad at Travis for doing the Super Bowl, but not the niggas that's playing in it. And I'm, I am making that distinction. Y'all know why. Let me reread this. Uh, Freddie Gibbs says, y'all mad at Travis for doing the Super Bowl, but not the niggas that's playing in it. And y'all still going to watch it. And I mean, I know why Freddie mad because, you know, there's this element of we've, we've gotten so far down the line on this whole canceling thing. But here's my issue with, with Freddie Gibbs argument. And I said it was basically an apples and oranges argument, because here's the thing about Travis Scott. My understanding with the Super Bowl performance is that they are not paid for their performance. So this was not an issue of, you know, eating and or I should say the this was not an, an issue of urgency for Travis Scott in terms of his um in terms of his finances, this was a networking opportunity for Travis Scott, period. It was a, a luxury class struggle. It was a leisure class struggle. It was not a working class struggle. The NFL player who does not play is in. I mean, we have NFL players who, despite the you know amount of money that they're making, they are, in fact, in labor class. They are, in fact, in working class struggles and that may be you know that that may bring up a whole different conversation of well you know how are these guys managing their money and different things like that here's what you have to look at with the nfl and it's not just about how much money you're making when it comes to the working class it's also about the conditions under which you are working and you have to understand uh nfl pensions that's a joke when you look at you know the dangers in terms of concussions and just understanding that football is not What's what's the thing we say about football? Oh, it's a contact sport. Football is not a contact sport. Football is a collision sport. And that is to say that very strong, tall, fast men run at each other as fast as they possibly can. And they hit each other over and over and over and over. And I should pull that Marshawn Lynch soundbite, but I think y'all get the gist and over and over and over and over again. You know what? We all like to hear from Marshawn. I'm letting Marshawn say it. If you just run through somebody's face, a lot of people ain't gonna be able to take that over and over and over and over and over again. They just not gonna want that. Think there's a deeper metaphor there? Run through a motherfucking face. Nah, rats. <laughs> I thought there was gonna be another clip, man. Where he was. I mean, he kept saying over and over and over. He said it about ten times, man. But anyway, man, we look. We love Marshawn on this podcast, man. A lot of people love Marshawn just for his authenticity and for his realness. But the my point is this: is this is the ad, this is the prevailing attitude. That is a part of, of the National Football League. And so there's this just this brutality. And, you know, there's this it's, it's about more than the, than the competition. These narratives that they push on TV, there's a very real um, just a savagery that, that goes into football, man. And with that, players don't always have the protections, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, these these issues that happen within this working class structure. And a lot of people don't see that because, again, it's they see, I mean, look, they see a bunch of, you know, young black guys making money. And so you have just based off of, you know, what happens in this country, uh, there's a natural uh, backlash to that. And the leisure class, when I say leisure class, I mean fans, they don't like it. And so while you have this struggle between the working class and the uh, leisure class or labor class and between the leisure class, you have a leadership or a ruling class and NFL owners who. They're the ones that's really sticking it to the taxpayers because you got these stadiums that are taxpayer funded. And so you have billionaires who are 
taxing regular everyday people. And if they don't get their way, like if Trump doesn't get his way, then we're going to shut you guys down. We're going to take this team somewhere else. And so what you're getting is, is that you have this. Um, What's the word I want to use? Oh, it's right here on the tip of my tongue, y'all. Um, infantile is not quite the word I want to use. Petulant. That's the word I want to use. Petulant. This petulance. And if they don't, and these, if these guys don't get their way, they take their ball and they go home. And that's what they do. And here's the thing about canceling the black community is that nobody ever gets canceled among black people. We are a surprisingly and almost uh, to the point of our detriment. We are forgiving people because um, here's the thing is that we're not uniform in our thinking as a people. You know, we, we are advertised as a monolith. We are presented in the media as a monolith. But no, black people, man, we 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 see things a lot of different ways. Look at the R. Kelly uh, document or document the R. Kelly documentary. There's still a small set, even after that, there's still a small section of folks who will go to a, who will, first of all, go to an R. Kelly concert, but will not only go to an R. Kelly concert, but will say, take me hostage. And then there's a larger section who would make jokes and memes out of a serious issue. But going back to the whole labor versus leisure um, class struggle, there are very few people who can understand the, the challenges of both. And what I want to do is I'm going to take a quick commercial break here. And when I come back, I want to talk about a person who uh, really gets it. And it's actually somebody from a, like a, a, a rival football team. So imagine that. But I'm going to talk about this after this quick break. You're listening to Making a Difference. Do you need insurance for your car, home, life, or business? Then trust Jay Harvey, your all-state insurance agent in Evans, Georgia. He opened his agency in 2017 because he loves helping and working with people. As a husband and father, he understands the importance of helping families prepare for the unexpected. You can get a personalized insurance quote today by calling 706-434-8106. Jay's office is located at 3118-8 William Few Parkway in Evans, Georgia. Remember, you're in good hands with Jay Harvey, your neighborhood Allstate insurance agent. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. I'm talking about Alvin Kamara of the New Orleans Saints, and I really don't like to give Saints players too much credit, but I got to give Alvin Kamara credit because Alvin Kamara is one of those individuals who understands uh, the labor class struggle and understands it from the perspective of layman. Uh, here's what Alvin Kamara does is that he uh, he works blue collar jobs every Tuesday during his day off. And the f- way that people <laughs> the way that this was found out is uh, CBS Sports via WBRZ in Baton Rouge. Uh, Kamara was spotted on the back of a garbage truck. Uh, slinging trash around New Orleans uh, the way this was presented in this story as if he was throwing defenders off his back while on the gridiron. Um, and again, he does these jobs uh, every Tuesday. Uh, and it says, although this week's blue collar j- uh, job that Alva Kamara did was a part of a commercial for uh, what's this four waste or IV waste. Um, a tweet from a, the bullish runner gives hints that he may be looking for other dirty jobs in the area that he can do. So I think that's very commendable. Um, that, that Kamara does that, that he, um, that he is able to identify with that struggle. And it takes me again, back to a conversation that we don't regularly have, you know, this is black history month and I'm a proponent of black history years, um, and look, black history curriculums, which is actually what Carter G. Woodson was a proponent of the founder of black history month. He started black history month as a means of eventually, getting Black History Month into the classroom as something that should be taught every day. Um, That has sadly not happened. But 
as I think about even the civil rights icons that we talk about ad nauseum. Um, and I won't say ad nauseum. I don't want to disrespect civil rights icons. I'll just say that the folks that we talk about more than we talk about others, such as Dr. King. We don't even talk about Dr. King within the full context of what he did, because we certainly don't talk about the Memphis sanitation strike and what that looked like. And the whole idea that I am a man, the idea that, you know, even as, you know, I'm a working, I'm a, someone who is working, someone who has a job that I can still be treated as less than a man, as less than a human being. And Dr. King understood this. And as Dr. King understood this, he understood not only the injustice that came from the conditions that they were working in, but also the economic injustice. And that yielded uh, commentaries from Dr. King such as this. And I apologize in advance for the sound. In the last two months of his life, Dr. King faced the idea that civil rights alone could not solve the problem of poverty. In Mississippi today. He roamed the South, trying to gain support for a poor people's campaign. Its goals, full employment, a guaranteed income, and decent housing for every American. People just don't know, but it's really hard. Not only me, it's so many more it's in the same shape. I'm not the only one. It's just so many of us run around. It's just don't have shoes, clothes. It's naked and hung. It's all the time you have to cook at your and pinto beans morning down in supper. They don't know what else get a good meal. You all are really to be admired. And I want you to know that you have my moral support. I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to be coming back to see you. And we are going to be demanding when we go to Washington that something be done and done immediately about these conditions. Yes. This was a different Martin Luther King. Just weeks before his murder, in tones suggestive of the Black Panthers, he began to talk about how the government had broken its promise to the newly freed slaves just after the Civil War. At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents further their expertise in farming, not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, today many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. Now, this is what we are faced with, and this is the reality. Now, when we come to Washington, in this campaign, we are coming to get our check. I played the entirety of that. That was a three minute uh, excerpt uh, where uh, Dr. Gates and Henry Louis Gates was providing the uh, the narration there, because a lot of us have heard maybe that minute, minute and a half where Dr. King's talking about getting our check. But I want to uh, present that to you all from the framework of, you know, you're hearing from the complaints of, you know, people in the working class and the labor class, people who are. Uh, either in poverty or are approaching poverty. And Dr. King is saying, hey, I'm not just only going to pray for you, but we're going to Washington. We're going to challenge these individuals. We're going to ask why uh, white folks are getting subsidies, federal subsidies, and we're not as black people. And that was the Dr. King that 
as uh, Dr. Gates narrated, was a man who had transcended civil rights, who understood that as much as we have conversations about civil rights, we also got to have conversations about labor rights and understand that the two, as it relates to black people in this country, are linked, are mutually linked in so many ways. And again, this is why I'm so cr critical of celebrity. I'm not only crit critical of celebrity uh, within the framework of Hollywood and, you know, it's, uh, you know, what it presents, but also in the priority that we as a community put on celebrity, because I understand that as long as we make celebrity the issue, as long as we make celebrity a priority, we will never, if at, you know, we will rarely, if ever, look at working class issues, which means that we're not taking a look at our own community. We're not taking a look within our own communities to ask, you know, what are these problems? Why are, you know, why are people in power for 10, 20, 30 years and nothing's happening? And what can we do, you know, when we look at, you know, different issues? And, and let me say also, you know, as we look at presidential candidates, as we look at political political candidates and people are saying, well, you know, someone so is black or someone so looks black. Why don't we vote that person in? Because as I said on this podcast many times, all skin folk ain't kin folk. And, you know, look, I'm going to challenge I'm challenging people on policies. I'm not I'm not challenging people on the image they present or the celebrity that they're able to, you know, garner off of people. We've been down that road. It hasn't worked for us. We got to do something different. And so that's one of the podcasts that's coming up in the near future is 2020 vision, because I don't think it's too early to start having discussions about pres presidential candidates. And I think it's important for us as a community to be informed about the folks who are saying, hey, I'm running for president and to look at policies that are or are not going to help the black community and, and ask those and ask those tough questions now before we get so entrenched in the people and we fall in love with people who are not in love with us. And with that, I'm going to close out this episode of Making a Difference, man. I'm just grateful for you all for listening. I want to just encourage you guys, as always, SoundCloud.com backslash Making a Difference. SoundCloud.com backslash M-A-K-I-N. A difference. That's the way you can get to the podcast um, from your browser. I obviously would love for you to download the SoundCloud app and to follow Making a Difference that way. I think it's more uh, efficient and accessible for you just to be able to click that SoundCloud app and to follow Making a Difference. And boom, just like that, you'll see the podcast. I uh, also want to encourage you guys to... Listen, what we do uh, making a difference, I'll tell you guys, look, man, a lot of what we do here, man, we run at a, at a deficit, but I do it because I would love this in my heart, man, for the community. And with that, we need your financial support desperately. Uh, you can become a, a sponsor of making a difference uh, through Patreon. Uh, it's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Uh, backslash making a different show, M-A-K-I-N, a different show. You can sponsor us that way. You can be a, a monthly sponsor of making a difference. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, we always, always encourage that as well. You can go to Cash App. It's dollar sign making, M-A-K-I-N, a different show. If you got ideas for the show, uh, obviously you can shoot me a message on Facebook. You can go to facebook.com backslash making a different show. But I'm trying to wing people off Facebook. Hey, shoot me an email directly on uh, via Gmail. Uh, Gmail, you can go to uh uh, making a difference show at gmail.com. You can send me a message that way. Making a difference show at gmail.com. I want to close you guys out with a gospel selection. Um, this is my cousin, man. Uh, my cousin, Crystal. I uh, love her so much. And I think it's something that's just applicable um, to what we're dealing with now uh, in this country. Where we're dealing with a judgment day. And we're dealing with it because we're not addressing the issues of poverty in our country. And so I want to close out with that. Pot, with Close out with that. Um, with that song by my cousin. She's so talented, man. Great voice. Love her. Love you, Chris. Peace to you and peace to y'all, man. Love you and God bless.
revolution will not be televised. You see, a lot of times people see, 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 see battles and skirmishes on TV and they say, aha, the revolution is being televised. Nah, the results of the revolution are being televised. The first revolution is when you change your mind about how you look at things and see that there might be another way to look at it that you have not been shown. 
What you see later on is the results of that, but the revolution, that change that takes place will not be televised.